0: So I'm going to give you a disclaimer disclaimer right out of the gate. We're about to move into the next part of the Gospel According to Luke. We're in this series where we're studying through this Gospel. And we're walking with Jesus along the way. And up to this point, we've been hearing about the births of both John the Baptist and Jesus. We've experienced the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus. And now we move into that next part of the story. And in this next passage, there's going to be two people that come to the forefront of the story, and you're going to probably want to know more about them. These two people, it would be real easy to preach the whole sermon about. But it just so happens that the center of this passage is not about these two people. Every passage could go a million different directions, and we could cover these passages weeks after weeks after weeks, Studying just one passage going from multiple angles, but you don't want weeks and weeks of one passage. I know some of you do. I do. But we we gotta just we gotta nail the center of this passage. So I don't want anyone coming up and telling me that I didn't focus on your two favorite people in this passage. I'm focusing on the center of the passage. I tell you that because I'm very aware as I prepare a sermon that there are people that are going to come to me and say, I would have liked to heard more about this. Well, yeah, me too. But I only had an hour and a half. So, this is what you get. George <laughs> about to leave. I didn't know I signed up for an hour and a half. Uh, Luke chapter. We're in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, if you have a Bible, if you can jo- uh, turn with me. Luke chapter 2, we're going to actually pick up with verse 21. So, I'm not keeping with the... The the, the section breaks in the New International Version here. We're actually going to start right above a section break. Verse 21. We'll pick up there. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him, and then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. So the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them, at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. You see the two people that stand out, don't you? Simeon, this man filled with the Spirit, moved by the Spirit, this man who can just see with such clarity. This man who gives such a prophecy. This man of such devotion. And Anna, you saw her too, right? This, this woman who like fast ah, day and night she has been in the temple worshiping for decades after the death of her husband, who she'd only been married to for seven years. And then this dedication for all of these years. Man, let's talk about her, Simeon and Anna. They seem to stand right there at the center of the story. And what that could say to us today. But Simeon and Anna, they're not the center of the story. You probably picked up at this point that when Luke tells stories, at least to this point, he puts people in pairs. Do you remember how the announcement of the births comes? The angel appears to Elizabeth about John the Baptist. And then right alongside that story, he tells about Angel Gabriel coming to Mary, Elizabeth, and Mary. And then you remember when he tells the story of, of the births. It's John the Baptist, Jesus. You have Zechariah, and then you have what's happening with Mary. These are in pairs, and so here again, he sets up two pairs. But do you know who the center of the story has been at this point? It's not been about Zechariah or Elizabeth or Mary or Joseph. It's been Jesus. When Luke sets up the pairs, when he tells the story, he doesn't want you to just zero in on the people through whom the story is going to get told. He wants you to see Jesus. He wants you to see Jesus. So as much as I would love to make some application about the, the importance of faithfulness into old age, or the importance of being righteous and devoted like, like Simeon, we would be remiss. And our one shot to take this passage on, we didn't talk solely about Jesus. The center of this passage is Jesus. Actually, what happens here in this passage is not only do we see Jesus at the center, we see him from multiple angles. And so typically throughout church history, when Christians want to talk about the different the different angles by which we can explore Jesus. We talk about that in terms uh, with the word doctrine. These are teachings. These are core teachings of the faith. And in this passage, we have three doctrines of Christ. That is, three teachings about Christ. Like there are three things about Jesus we learn right here in this passage. They're just all woven into this story where these two people are used to get to these three main doctrines of Christ. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through those three doctrines of Christ. And I think it's going to have something to say about how you live the rest of today. So here we go. Doctrine number one. In no particular linear order. Doctrine one. Jesus perfectly fulfills all the law. Now I'm quoting here from a scholar. He fueled all the uh, He fueled He he fulfilled all the righteousness that we owe to God. Okay, this might seem like an odd one. Like you probably weren't expecting this one out of the gate. But this doctrine is actually woven into the whole passage. It's actually very key for what Luke wants to tell us about the life of Jesus in general. The way he's going to keep telling the story. So let's unpack it a bit. And to do that, I need to take you back to the beginning. Do you remember in the beginning, God created uh, Adam and Eve, man and woman, and they're placed in the garden. And you remember how this all plays out. He says, hey, go enjoy everything. Just go enjoy everything that I've given you. Go work the land, multiply, have kids. You will reign with me right here on earth. This will be paradise. And actually, it will be eternal life. But the one thing they had to do was what? They couldn't eat of that tree that right they couldn't eat of that forbidden fruit they could just don't do that and you will live forever You just enjoy we will enjoy our presence together forever and ever another way to say that is if you will obey perfectly you'll have eternal life that's the terms those are the terms you know the problem is or the problem was they didn't obey and you know from that point on no human has ever perfectly obeyed and no human has ever been able to live eternally forever and ever with God because no human has ever perfectly obeyed. Every human has now come under the curse of the law. They have not been able to keep the law. So what, what we really need is we need a human being to come into the world and perfectly obey God. Because if we can get a human being that perfectly obeys God, and we can get connected to that human being, then we'll be okay. But we need a human being to come into the world who can finally do what Adam couldn't do. You tracking with me? So we need a human being to come into the world, and may we say it this way, to be born under the law and actually keep the law. That's what we need. That's what Jesus is going to do. So, interesting enough, the Apostle Paul picks up on this. Here's how he talks about the birth of Christ. Yes, the Apostle Paul just briefly mentions the birth of Christ. Here's the way he talks about it in the letter to the Galatians, Galatians 4.4. But when the time, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. We, have def- we desperately needed some human being to come into the world, be born under the law, and to keep it perfectly. To do what no human has ever been able to do. What Adam definitely wasn't able to do, we need someone to do it. So that we can actually have a relationship, a restored relationship with God. Because that's where you're going to find happiness. It's right there with God. But because of sin, it's not there. So we need someone to come into the world, be born under the law, and keep it perfectly. And Paul says Jesus is that person. Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law. Now that means that as Jesus begins to fulfill and keep all the requirements of the law, do you know when that starts? The keeping of the law, that is, living a life that actually comes under the whole law, perfectly begins days after birth for Jesus. Days after his birth. That is, the keeping of the requirements of the law for this one human that's going to do it perfectly actually starts days after coming into the world. And do you know who sits at at the center of helping make all that happen? His parents. His parents set in motion making sure that Jesus, even days after coming into the world, is keeping the law. Because this is the one human that was born of a woman under the laws of the head. He could keep it perfectly like no human ever has. So that we could have eternal life. That's got to start days after his birth. So Mary and Joseph are a very important part of that. Interestingly, Luke, Luke highlights this very thing. So let me summarize it this way. Mary and Joseph. They made sure to do everything the law required as it related to the newborn Jesus. They circumcised him on the eighth day, they presented him at the temple, and they gave an offering for purification. All of that was so that he would actually be the one human being who perfectly kept God's law in a way that no other human has. So that anyone that gets connected to him gets all of the eternal life he has, we get it now too. Interestingly now, with all of that said, you would think if it was this important, Luke would actually make mention of this multiple times, right? If it's important, it's repeated. Well, it just so happens he does. I set you up for this. I get so excited when I, like, give you a really long runway, and I'm like, ha, discovery moment, but I knew it was coming. So here it is. Check this out. Five times. Five times in a matter of 20 verses. Five times. He repeats himself on this point. You think it's important? Notice this. We're just going to take it from the expert. I'm highlighting the multiple places. On the eighth day when it was time to circumcise the child, purification rites required by the law of Moses to offer sacrifice and keeping what, what what is said by the law of the Lord, to do for him what was the custom, the custom of the law required, done everything required by the law of the Lord. Luke's major point here in this passage, one major point coming out of this passage is Jesus keeps the law. This human being is going to do what no other human being has ever done. And for the rest of his account of the life of Jesus, you're going to keep seeing Jesus keep the law. He's going to keep obeying. And you know where he's going to finally obey to the fullest extent? It will be at the cross. But I want us to see, you don't get the obedience at the cross Before you get the obedience in the days after his birth, this is the human being whose total life was perfect obedience. And the good news of the gospel, if I can just fast forward us here, is that when you and I come to Jesus in faith, guess whose record you get to pick up now? You get to pick up his record. Like, you get to take with you, I got Jesus' record. You don't want your record. I don't want your record. You don't want my record. Like, we don't want our records. When I die, I'm taking Jesus' record with me. That's a record of perfect obedience. That is imputed. It is given to us. That's the good news of Jesus. So when you walk around and you say, man, I'm not perfect, you're just acknowledging reality. But Jesus was. And it starts right here, days after his birth. He fulfills the law. Not just when he's 30, but when he's eight days old. And Luke wants to make the point because it's going to drive us to the cross where he obeys the Father all the way to his death. Okay, doctrine one, Jesus fulfills the law. Easy to think of that 30-year-old not murdering somebody. Yeah, he's keeping the law. I want us to make sure we see it right here in this passage. Luke making a very clear point. Jesus fulfills the law. The righteousness you don't accomplish, he does. And you get his record. Okay. Doctrine 2. Doctrine 2. Christ is salvation both for Jews and Gentiles. So this is a really important piece as the gospel is going to play out. Because you can't forget Jesus is Jewish. And for the Jews, they often thought that, that salvation would only be for the Jews. And up until this point, the Messiah was for the Jews. Like, I mean, I just want you to think. Up to this point, in the gospel according to Luke, Anytime we've heard the Messiah referred to, there's the idea that salvation is coming to God's people, and God's people would be the Jews. So like at this point, Mary, Elizabeth, Joseph, Zechariah, all of them are thinking, God's going to finally deliver Jerusalem. God's finally going to save us, His people, the Jews. But with this passage, another layer is peeled back to see the extent of the salvation of this baby that will eventually go to the cross. Now, before we note exactly what Simeon says, because this comes right out of the mouth of Simeon, we've got to note this. Did Simeon come up with this just out of the blue? Was he like just drinking really strong coffee and just had this amazing idea that maybe this baby would be for all people? No, no. This comes from the Holy Spirit. Take a look. I just want you to see, I can't miss this. In verse 26 and 27, Luke writes this. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah moved by the Spirit. He went in the temple courts. That's when he sees Jesus. That's when he says what he says. There's an important point we just want to make mention. You and I cannot see Jesus clearly. In our own power, you and I have to have eyes of faith to see Jesus clearly. In our flesh, in our flesh, we don't see things very clearly. I typically see things from me being the center of the universe. That's usually how I walk through the world. Simeon doesn't see the world that way. Not in this moment, but it's only because the Holy Spirit has given him eyes to see. So, you know, this is an important point to acknowledge. You're not in control of everything. Simeon wasn't in control of everything. God's moving. God's moving in this very ordinary moment to reveal something supernatural about this baby. Man, we need God to move sometimes to see things in ways that we would not see them otherwise. Okay, so what does he see? Well, he sees that this baby is going to be a light to the Gentiles. That's just crazy. In a world where we divide ourselves up into a million different pieces, I'm this, you're that, I believe this, you believe that, I have this gun skin color, you have that, I'm of this tribe, you're of that tribe, I speak this language, you speak that language. We are so divided, and this isn't an American thing. This is a human thing. This has been going on ever since human beings have lived on this earth, post the fall. God comes into the world and says, I'm not just saving this people, I'm going to save people from every tribe, tongue language. I'm bringing them together, and they're not going to come together under a political banner. They're not coming together under a government. They're not going to come un- uh, come under de- uh, come together under some celebrity. They're coming under God the Son. This is coming through Jesus. And when Simeon prophesies, he actually picks up some prophecies because it's not like this was new. God had been promising that one day. I'm going to bring salvation to the world, and it's going to pull people from every people group. My salvation will not just be for the Jews, it's going to be for the Gentiles. Actually, I'm doing something new among all humans. One of the most famous passages here is Isaiah. So here is God talking to his servant. Now, Israel thought they were the servant. The servant is Jesus. Here it is. I just want you to see, I want you to make the connection between what Simeon prophesies here in his song. And how this was already promised back in the Old Testament. But how they just had a hard time seeing it. Here's what God speaking to His servant says. Is it too small a thing for you to be my servant? To restore the tribes of Jacob? To bring back those of Israel I have kept? I will also make you. Now that you is ultimately Jesus. I will make you a light for the Gentiles. That my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. At this point, you might say, why in the world does this even matter? Do you go around thinking of the world split up between Jews and Gentiles? Probably not. I think in terms of, are you a brave fan or not? Like, that's how I think. Um, uh, like, yeah, and it's, I, I know, just I'm still struggling. Um, but maybe the Padres will get that, those enemies today. Maybe, maybe. Okay, um, I don't know if I just made enemies. Um, but, but... But here's the thing. This is so important because if I had to guess, you all are in the Gentile camp. The only reason you're in this room right now is because God decided that he was going to pull a people from all groups of people and not just the Jews. So be grateful. Be grateful that God had a vision for the world and not just the Jews. Or you and I would need to be in Jerusalem right now at a temple. Praise God, that his plan was much bigger. And also, just to note, that's why my hope is ultimately not in a political party. It's in Jesus. Because in a hundred years, I could care less about political parties. I'll be praising Jesus. All right. Third doctrine. Now, this is an interesting one, right? Like you're. Let's just read it. This is an interesting one to bring up. Jesus brings division. He does not allow a neutral position. Jesus brings a division. He does not allow a neutral position. That's a key teaching about Christ we see here. Really odd because all I did was just talk about how God unifies. And now we have a doctrine here that says God divides. Yeah. Jesus divides. And here's the thing. This is the underbelly of the, the Christmas story we don't typically talk about. We might call it the dark side of the Christmas story. At least I don't, at least I've never been part of a Christmas celebration where we talk about this part of the Christmas story. This is not what we think about when we think about Silent Night. But it is just as much about the Christmas, it's just as much part of the Christmas story as all of the wonderful nostalgic images we associate with it. Remember what Simeon said. Let's just pick this back up. I just want you to remember what he says here. He said, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. Actually, what Simeon does here, after declaring that he's going to, that God's going to, that through this child, it will, he will be a light to all people, he actually now says, and this child is going to divide people. Actually, he's going to be an offense. And people will come against this child. You know this is a foreshadowing to where the story's going. This child will be rejected, and he'll be nailed to a Roman cross. That's ultimately what's going to happen to this child. So I love, I, I mean, I, we love the idea of a meek and mild Jesus, a Jesus that we can cozy up to. He's just my best of friend. Like, like, and there's nothing wrong with thinking about Jesus as your friend. Like, I, I'm not, there's, no, there's, no, um, there's no challenge here on that. But if we simply think about Jesus as just meek and mild and sweet Jesus, then you don't know the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Scriptures is the Jesus who will always challenge you. He will always offend your pride. He will always, always cut at your arrogance. That's who this Jesus is. In one more chapter, like chapter 3, we're going to get there. In chapter 3, we're going to see John the Baptist preaching, and John the Baptist is going to say this about Jesus. Man, you don't think about this when you think about Jesus. Here's what he says, Luke three. Oh, oh, I yeah, I totally missed that quote. Let's just, we'll move on. I, let's just bypass that one. I got so excited about what I was saying, I missed the scholar quote. It was really profound. Let's go on. Um, Luke three, sixteen like to seventeen. Let's just say I said it better than the scholar said it, so we had to just move on. All right. So Luke three, verse sixteen through seventeen. John the Baptist says this, Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will pick up the shaft with unquenchable fire. Jesus will weed out every human being. He will, he will evaluate, he will expose, and what Simeon said, if you remember, is he will reveal every human heart. Some will be strong wheat. Some will be worthless, shaffled. And Jesus will bring judgment on both. Those He will keep and sustain. Those will be gone. They will be sent to the unquenchable fire. This is, not, this is not your meek and mild, friendly, sweet Jesus who pats everyone on the head and just gives hugs like He's just a really happy clown giving balloons to all the kids. This is a Jesus who takes seriously human arrogance and pride and sin. And Jesus will expose it. His winnowing fork is in His hand. And then Jesus Himself, if you thought this was just coming from the mouth of John the Baptist, Jesus Himself said this. Just later in Luke, I hope you see this is in the Gospel of Luke. I want you to see how Luke is setting the stage for some of this in the way he writes the early part of the story. Luke 12, 49-52, Jesus says this, I have come to bring fire on the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo. And what constraint I am under until it is completed. That baptism, by the way, is the baptism of the cross that's coming for him. Verse 51. Do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you. But division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Uh, five Five in one family divided against each other. Three against two. Two against three. The point that Jesus is making is, I will divide people. Your allegiance to me will bring division. And ultimately what we know is that that's going to go all the way to the cross, and the cross will offend people. Because you know what the cross of Christ says? It says, you're not the most important thing in the world. Your feelings are not the gauge of reality. You don't get to have your truth. It's not about you doing you. Actually, the universe has absolute truth. Actually, God, three in one, is the center of the universe. His glory is the most important thing in the world. And in a universe where we like to have all the glory surrounding us, that's a really hard thing to swallow. And do you know what most humans do? They reject it. Actually, when glory itself was on the earth in flesh, God the Son. Do you know what they did to God the Son? The Son, they put him up on a cross. That's how offensive he was, and it still happens today. So the Apostle Paul can write this. I want you. I'm just driving to this point that Jesus is the dividing line in this world, and he's gonna that's gonna be the dividing line that goes right up through your heart and mind is where you are with Jesus and His. Knowing that I can't save myself and I've got to come to him because I know I know my sins deserve the fullness of his wrath. If I just do I recognize that, do I treasure him, or do I think I got this do I, really do I have all this? I got it. I got it. I don't need God. There is no God. I don't need all this. This is ridiculous. And I come up with some sophisticated way to, to get rid of him. That's where all this is gonna fall. The Apostle Paul says this. 1 Corinthians 1, 23-24, the New Living Translation. He says this, So when we preach that Christ was crucified, well, the Jews are offended. And the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The question that this passage drives us to is where you stand with Jesus. This whole passage is about Jesus. He is the one that perfectly obeys the law. No other human's ever done that. And we get His righteousness when you believe. His salvation is for all kinds of people. It's not just for one kind of people. It's for all people. But you better believe He brings a dividing line right through the human heart. And that's where I want to just drive some application. Now I've used what we're about to what we're about to walk through, I've used it before, but I I've, I've told you you're gonna see it over and over again because I don't know that I'm gonna do any better than this. Because I think these are key questions we need to be asking. It really is one key question, and then I wanna break it out into four parts very quickly. Here it is. Here's the question. Are we moving towards Jesus or away from him? You're gonna to have to deal with this question. Where are you with Jesus? And and I'm not like because you're sitting in a church building, well, duh, I'm good with Jesus. No, no. I mean, like, where are you in your affections for Jesus? Are you drawn to Him? Are you moving towards Him? Are you moving away from Him? Take a look. Here's how I want to picture. There are some people that are not even in Jesus. Like, So the circle represents being inside of Christ. So there are some people, they're not even saved. They're not saved, and they don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. This is a large part of the world. They want to have nothing to do with Jesus. They run away from Jesus. Then there's also this group. There are some people that are not yet saved, but God is drawing them to Christ. And so I don't know where you are. Like, I think I know where most of you are, I think, maybe. Maybe you're tricky, I don't know. Maybe, like, you're really far away from Christ, I don't know. But there may be someone in here. You really, you're not saved yet. But man, something's drawing you to Christ. And you're on the cusp of being regenerated by faith, being baptized, repenting of your sins. I don't know. Maybe that's you. You're coming close to Christ, and you're interested about this Jesus. You're moving towards Him, and now if that's you. Like you need to let's take another step towards Christ. Now, there's this one right here. Some of you, you're saved, and you're still drawing close to Christ. And what I'm going to say here is keep drawing close to Christ. You keep hearing the word of God proclaimed. You keep praying. Keep being around Christians. Like I just want to like cheer you on. Keep doing what you're doing with God's people. So be encouraged. And you know when you're moving towards Christ. A cancer diagnosis hits and you say, this sucks, but I am in this for Christ. And you don't feel it, but you say, I'm not leaving you, Jesus. That's a move to Christ. Your family's falling apart, but you say, I'm not giving up on Christ. Great successes are coming, but you keep being generous because you're moving towards Christ. You get it. Keep moving to Christ. But there's this other one. And I would say, like, which one would challenge us the most? It would be this one. Right here. It's those who are saved. But the relationship with Christ is really lukewarm. And you're actually moving away from Christ. You're worrying more. You're stressing. You don't read the Scriptures as much. Church attendance is like the lottery. You just are moving away from Christ. I have a friend just called me yesterday. Uh, no one in this town concerned his wife's cheating on him. A really heavy phone call yesterday. This guy came to Christ many years ago. We stayed in touch randomly. haven't talked in several years. And one of the things he said to me, he said, I'm part of the problem. And then out of the blue he said, I haven't been to church in five years. That's part of my problem. I'm not saying he's not saved. But in that moment he told me, I've been walking away from Christ for a long time. And he knows he's got to get some stuff straight Listen, my point here is not to like step on your toes, convict you unnecessarily, but it is the challenge that where you are with Christ is the most important question in your life. It's not who's playing today, who's going to win this game, Or what political party is going to win in November? That's not the most important question. The most important question is, where are you moving in relationship to Christ? That's the goal here. That's what this passage pushes on us. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you a question. Like, I'm asking myself this question, so it already makes me uncomfortable. I create these things before I bring them to you. So when you tell me that I've stepped on your toes, I've been stepping on my toes for days. So don't whine to me. Okay? All right. Here it is. Ask yourself this question every day. How is Jesus challenging me today? Here's where I want to get to. You could come up with some other form of that question. Like, Jesus, how do you want to make me uncomfortable today? You could ask it that way, okay? The point is this. If you are never challenged by Jesus, then you don't know Jesus. If, If nothing in your life needs to change and everything is smooth sailing and comfortable, and you're just doing great, then you don't know Christ. Because Christ is going to step all over your pride, your arrogance, your worry, your anxiety. He's going to step on all of it. We have to be uncomfortable with Jesus. Now you get what I'm saying. There's 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 a balance here. Because I'm not saying you need to run away from Jesus in great fear. But I am saying that you and I have enough sins still living in our flesh that every day we're going to be tempted to think we're the center of the universe. And it's in that moment, at that point of the day, wherever those decisions are, that Jesus needs to press right up against you and cut away at the pride. And that's not comfortable. It might mean you put someone else first. It might mean that you let go of thinking certain things as tough as that is, it might mean, and I'll leave it here, it might mean that the next time you're in an argument with your loved one or friend or coworker, or boss, you let go of having the last word. You ever tried to eat the last word? That is a tough thing to do. Especially when you have the authority to get the last word. Maybe you let go of having the last word, Teenagers. In my house. If they were in here, that would apply. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I said, I gave myself as the first example. You were the easy target for the last one. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and how your word brings us to Christ. And we thank you that your salvation came all the way to us. And so now we ask that Jesus, by His Spirit, would be challenging us and cutting away pride and arrogance, drawing us closer to holiness. We're not in the business of just looking for goodness. We're looking for holiness. And we sure do need help. So we'll need each other. We're going to need Your Word. We're going to need eyes of faith to see Christ clearly and give us the strength we need to see Him. we ask this all in the name of Him who is our Savior and Lord and happens to be the smartest person today in the whole universe, Jesus. And I think together we say, we can say, Amen.